Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Hudson Belinsky. Hudson is a writer for Baseball America. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Hudson Belinsky. Hudson, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Ross. Looking forward to it. Hudson, I ask everyone this right at the top. Tell me what initially attracted you to baseball in the first place. Kind of an interesting story. I, uh, my parents weren't super interested in the game. I, I grew up in the tri-state area during the, the Yankees dynasty. Uh, it was hard not to pay attention to that. And, um, you know, watching, watching Aaron Boone uh, smash that home run uh, in, in game seven of the ALCS to beat the Red Sox in I guess that was a three. Uh, that probably cemented me as a, a baseball guy. Um, I tried to play a little bit, but I, I was an awful player, and I, I knew that I wanted to be involved in the game in some capacity. And, um, yeah, I kind of just uh, kind of stumbled into the uh, the scouting side of the game and uh, then was fortunate enough to be uh, hired by Baseball America a couple years ago. The Major League Baseball draft just concluded yesterday, so that's always an exciting time for Baseball America, I'm sure for you as well. So let's do some draft talk. Let's get right into it. I think to help get a better understanding of the quality of the top of the draft, uh, let's compare it to last year's draft just a little bit. Last year, Dansby Swanson went one overall. He was followed by Alex Bregman and then Brendan Rodgers. Would those guys all be top three picks this year? Would they all be one ones this year? How would they rate compared to this year's draft? I'll go off of kind of the information we had on those players at the time because they've obviously gone out as pros and done pretty well and boosted their stock a little bit. Um, I, I still think Swanson would, would probably be the, the top guy, um, in, you know, if, if he were in this year's draft. Um, Bregman, you know, Bregman I could see falling a little bit back into the, the middle of the, the you know, that 2-10, to two to 10, I guess. I don't, wouldn't see him sliding too far. Um, probably gets, you know, probably still goes in the top six. And then the same... Uh, for Brendan Rodgers as well. I mean, Brendan Rodgers, I think, would go, you know, might go higher, actually, than Bregman, just based on the teams that are, that are picking this year, um, might, might have gone higher with uh, this year's group. So, uh, but yeah, I do think that generally um, this class is not um, not far behind. Um, I think it's pretty close uh, last year in terms of just at the top. The Phillies had the number one pick this year. They chose high school center fielder Mickey Moniak. Did they get the best player on the board? I think they did. They, they got, I mean, that, that's kind of the, depends on your philosophy a little bit. And I think they got a center fielder who can hit and uh, is going to have a little bit of power, is going to steal some bases, and is going to be the face of their franchise at some point. So um, from that perspective, sure, they made a great pick. Um, now the, the high school arms, might have more ceiling. You know, you're talking about a guy like Riley Pint who throws throws 100 and has a wicked changeup and a pretty good uh, knuckle curve as well. And then you have Jason Groom, who's this big physical left-hander with a, a now fastball and a now breaking ball. Um, he's going to have so, to iron out some rough edges to his game, but is as advanced as a high school pitching prospect comes. So, you know, I think there's an argument that those two guys are better. And then, you know, you have the, the college bats are are pretty darn good too. So it's it's not clear that there was a number one prospect in this class. Um, there was a whole bunch of guys that were in that kind of discussion up top, and uh, you know nobody really said you know nobody's performance really forced them up to number one. And so that's why I think even going into you know you know an hour before the draft, I was I was pretty sure Mickey Moniak would be the first pick, but I was not sure. 
Um, not a hundred percent sure by any means because of the kind of the nature of this class, which is, you know, seven or eight guys at the top and then a drop off. Nick Senzel went second to the Reds third baseman out of the university of Tennessee. What are the Reds getting in Senzel? They're getting a, a safe bat. This is a guy who, uh, if anybody's going to hit in this class, it's Nick Senzel. Um, it's a really polished, potent bat, um, more of a doubles hitter at this point, but there is, uh, there is the bat speed uh, for him to hit uh, for power. Um, so that's going to be something that he's going to have to work on is, is hitting for more loft. Right now, he's, uh, his approach is to just you hit a laser line drive uh, to either gap and, and go for a double. So um, you also have a guy who improved significantly defensively this year, came into the year, uh, was converted from second base to third base. Uh, there was questions. Uh, there were questions about how that transition would go, uh, and he handled that transition so well that he ended up eventually moving to shortstop for, for Tennessee. And I don't think he's a, a shortstop at the, the pro level, uh, but you know I don't, don't have nearly as many concerns about his defenses at third as I, I would have uh, about six months ago. Is he going to move fast through the system? Yeah, I think so. I think this is a guy who, when, when you take Nick Senzel, you're – you're looking at a guy who should get, go out and produce right away in the lower levels of the minor leagues. I mean, this is a guy who's probably ready for advanced class A or double A right now. Um, maybe he's going to need a little bit of seasoning, but you could see shooting, shooting up to the majors and, you know, within a year or so, um, would not be surprised if he's in the big leagues in 2017. Not saying that's definitely going to happen, but it would not surprise me. Ian Anderson was the first pitcher off the board. He went third to the Braves. Were you surprised that he was the first high school pitcher picked? No, we kind of saw that coming. We knew the Braves were were really, really interested. Uh, we just thought they were going to try to kind of float him back to their second pick. You know, there's there's kind of a there's an argument to be had on who the best uh, high school arm in the class was, and it was open to debate. And uh, when you talk about uh, the sum of Ian Anderson's parts, uh, which is a plus fastball, an above average, or a plus curveball, and a plus changeup, and then command and control of all of that. Um, you know, you can you can project him too, and and that's that's what he is now. I mean, he's, he's that good now, and you can project him because he's got this six three, six four, wiry, one hundred and seventy pound build, and his shoulders are relatively wide, and so he looks like he's going to be able to throw on. 20 to 30 pounds of muscle as he becomes a, a man here. Um, and so you can, you can drum on this guy pitching with the mid nineties fastball at some point um, and, and touching even higher. I mean, shoot, the guy's already been up to 97. So it, you know, it's a pretty special overall package when you put it all together. Riley Pint went next to the Rockies. Pint can touch a hundred really dominant stuff. Is he the guy that can actually pitch in Colorado? Did they get the guy that they need? He may be because he's got he's got exceptional life on his fastball. It's not just that it's 100 or 102. It's, it's 102, and it's it's like dancing into the zone. It's the ball ball is moving. Um, so when you're talking about a pitcher who can who can uh, get some movement on his fastball, uh, that's a, a pitch that's difficult to to get underneath and drive into the air. Uh, so you're going to see hitters kind of hit the top of the ball and, and roll over it and hit it into the infield, which is exactly what you need uh, in a hitter's park like Colorado's. Uh, so, you know, if, 
if anybody's going to figure it out, it, it should be Riley Plain. I mean, this is a guy who's got all the stuff in the world. Uh, and he's just a, an exceptional athlete. Uh, this is a guy who, who could have been a Division One basketball player if that's the uh, the avenue he had chosen to go down. So, yeah, I mean, if anybody can do it, it's Riley Plain. Wrapping up the top five, Corey Ray went to the Brewers, University of Louisville outfielder. Tell me a bit about him. Yeah, this is a guy who's a left-handed hitter who who stings the baseball uh, consistently. He's uh, His approach is, is more uh, to see ball, hit ball right now. And uh, as he, he matures and gets into the routine of, of playing every day, I think we're going to see his, his approach develop a little bit more. But he can also he can also really really run. He's a plus runner, uh, and he's got above average power. Um, so you're talking about a guy who can do a little bit of everything. Uh, not sure if he's going to play center field. His his routes and his instincts in in center field are not exactly what you'd hope for um, for a player at, at this stage of his career. Um, but that said, he he does have the offensive uh, value to profile in the corner outfield spot. Um, in left field if he, if he needs to. So, you know, with him, you go out and try him in center field as a, as a pro, and if it doesn't work out, then fine, you move him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the bat is going to be what carries this guy. As recently as last week, a lot of people thought A.J. Puck would go number one overall, but he slipped to six to the A's. Why did he fall, and what are the A's getting in him? Yeah, A.J. Puck is a guy who isn't the most consistent at this point, and you're you're kind of projecting him to improve a little bit. He's he's big and tall. He's six foot seven. He's got really wide hips, and his delivery is such that um, his core really extends out deeply over his front uh, his front leg when his front leg lands. Uh, and so it's lethal when when you know, when you have a fastball who's coming at you at, at ninety six ninety seven, and you know the, it's being released you know very much much more closely to you. So it's really hard to pick up the stuff out of his hand. Um, that said, he does trouble have trouble repeating his delivery at times um, and does not have the, the best command. So, um, yeah, he had some shaky starts down the stretch, and I think that's what, you know, that kind of ultimately highlighted the risk with him. And, so, you know, the risk is that he's going to end up in the bullpen. Uh, that said, he could still be a, a very effective uh, bullpen arm just because he's he's left-handed and he's got the big fastball and a little bit of a slider and a changeup too so um he could be a a monster shutdown closer if, if things click right he could also be a frontline starter and and that's the ceiling and that's why he doesn't slip past even six i mean everybody you know the team that takes him the, the a's the a's understand the risk with him they're betting on the upside they're gambling on that one a little bit um, and if it pays off, then then good for them because they've got a start. Yeah, and it's interesting. These guys, people compare Puck a little bit to Andrew Miller, and Miller's been so dominant in the bullpen, we forget that he was a bad starter, and he really got off to a tough start to his career. And a lot of these guys who end up as like high-pick starters end up as dominant relievers for other organizations. So you hope for the A's that if they realize he's not going to be a starter, they transition him quickly. You do want to give that guy some time to prove it. And the thing is, like... He's also never done, you know, done it every day before, which is, you know, when you're in college, there's a million things you got to focus on. You know, you've got to try to keep your grades up. You've got to try to balance the social life. you got to mature as an adult and figure out what you want to do with your life and what you value. Um, 
So there's a lot going on in a young man's life uh, as a college junior. And so he hasn't had time to, to just say, you know what, I'm focusing on baseball and, and that's it. So when he does get into pro ball and he has the opportunity to focus on being a professional every day, uh, you wonder if he's going to take off once that happens. Um, right now he's pitching once a week. There's a bullpen in the middle of the week and you've got to deal with exams and papers and all that. So, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how he responds to that, uh, to that challenge. Um, I'm excited, really, to follow him through the minor leagues. I think this is a really exciting prospect. Uh, he certainly wasn't my my favorite prospect, and we had some, as we were putting together our rankings, we had some pretty heated debates on on who the number one prospect was in the class. Um, but you know, this is a guy who even even me probably acknowledging his his weaknesses a little bit more than some others. Um, you know, I still had him firmly in my top five. Uh, so I do think he's a good value for the A's at number six. Another guy that fell was Kyle Lewis. Some people, I think, including Jim Callis and Keith Law, viewed him as the best player in the draft. Why did he slip to 11 and Seattle picked him up there? With with Kyle Lewis, there's there's exceptional power, uh, but the way that he gets to it is not ideal. I mean, you're talking about, a, you know, if, if you want to break down swing mechanics, um, this guy's back elbow kind of, He'll bring his, his back elbow up and kind of do a little bit of a swoop to give himself some extra power. Um, and he also is going to bring his hands back and, and you know, create a little bit of a load and, and ultimately lengthen out the, the path of his bat. So it, it's going to be a longer swing. Uh, the other issue is his, his front leg. Uh, he's got this leg kick, and, and it's kind of a, a step in the bucket uh, you know, a powerful step in the bucket uh, to plant and, and uh, get his hips uh, turned over. So there's a lot going on in that swing, and he's timed it well against the competition that he's faced so far. Um, that said, the competition he's facing at Mercer is not very not is not great. It's not uh, not a great parameter of the competition he's going to have to face in pro ball. Uh, so you know, when the speed of the game catches up and guys are throwing 93 to 95 and can, can spin breaking balls, um, you're not, not exactly sure how Kyle Lewis is going to hold up and how he's going to do, um, you know, when, when he does face good competition. So there is risk there. That said, he's an athlete. Um, he's, a, he's a guy who runs pretty well. Um, he's probably not a center fielder, but there's a chance that he can make it work there. Um, and he has, you know, we do. We use the scouting scale, twenty to eighty, where where fifty is major league average and sixty is a standard deviation above the mean, and eighty is legendary. Uh, this guy's got eighty raw power. Um, so if he finds a way to make that work in game action against professional pitching, we're looking at a potential star. Jason Groom was another guy that some thought could go 1-1 overall. He fell to Boston at 12. There are some concerns about his makeup or his character. What are those concerns? What exactly are people concerned about with Groom? And I think it's exciting for Red Sox fans as Boston doesn't normally have a chance to get high-end talent like that. Even though they've been bad lately, they're picking 7-8-9. They don't have a chance to get a guy that's a 1-2-3 type of guy. What are the Red Sox getting in Groom? That's going to be interesting to see if they can sign him. First of all, he's, uh, he, he's rumored to want you know, top three money. Um, so you're talking about you know, five, five to $7 million, something like that, potentially. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see if the Red Sox can make a deal happen there. Um, if they can, you're, you hit the nail on the, on the head. They've got a, a top-of-the-draft kind of talent. This is a guy who's six foot five and 230 pounds, and he's, uh, he's got this 200-inning style body. Um, he's got a wicked breaking ball. He's left-handed. He's got a monster fastball. He shows you a changeup. I mean, this guy's his delivery is as easy as, as you, you'll see. I mean, from a pure physical standpoint, this guy's incredible, and, and there's no question that he's a top-of-the-draft talent. That said, he's, a, he's got some maturity questions about him. Um, I do think that those have been overblown. Um, you know, so yeah, teams have looked into him pretty thoroughly, and some teams were scared away, and uh, some teams weren't. And I don't think the Red Sox were scared away. Um, they know it's going to be difficult to sign him, but you're exactly right. The Red Sox don't get a chance to draft that kind of guy very often. Um, and so if they can make that work, they have you know one of the best drafts just period, because they got a top of the, the draft talent and uh, they got a, a 12 overall, which is, or, or 13 overall, whatever they picked, um, which is pretty special. Delvin Perez went to the Cardinals late in the first round. He's a guy that tested positive for PEDs beforehand. Do we know what he tested positive for? And uh, do you think that that will have an impact on him and his development going forward? We, we haven't been able to confirm what exactly the substance was um, that, you know, we've heard some heard some rumors and, and have one source on something, but I'm not comfortable, you know, not at liberty at this time to, to divulge what the, the substance is. I just don't know for sure on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, this whole, this guy's game was, was built on his explosiveness and he's a, an exceptional runner and he's got a great arm and he showed more power this spring, um, significantly more power, I should say. And so you're, you know, you're not sure exactly what of that came from, from PEDs. Um, and so it's, it's a pretty startling situation. Um, this kid's super young. He's, he's 17 years old. He turns 18 in November. Um, he's got some growing up to do, but who doesn't as a 17 year old? Um, he broke, uh, he broke one of the most sacred rules, um, in baseball and, uh, He's going to have to move past it somehow. Um, that said, I do think the Cardinals are a good, good organization for taking a player like that and, and showing him kind of the right way to approach professional baseball and um, you know, kind of just develop a, a professional mentality for him. He's, uh, he's an exciting athlete, and he's got a tremendous ceiling if he can put it all together. Um, but it, this, is a, this is a major red flag. Um, you know, and if, if if he had not tested positive for PEDs, um, you know, he probably goes out in the top ten. So uh, the Cardinals, similar to what the the Red Sox did in Groom with Groom, they got a potential top of the draft talent, and they got it at at twenty three. So uh, that, you have to like that. Yeah, and Perez did cost himself several million dollars with this test because the Cardinals are going to lowball him too. I imagine so. I don't have the specifics on that yet, but. I can't imagine this guy can get a big signing bonus after everything that's gone down. Do you think Groom is the hardest sign in the first round? Yes, I do. I do think he's he's going to be the hardest one. Uh, Matt Manning, who the Tigers took at number nine, uh, should also be a tough sign. He's a, he's a, also a basketball player. He's committed to play Division One basketball and baseball at Loyola Marymount. So 
he's he does seem like he's uh he's ready to go to school if he doesn't get uh what he what he wants. Um that said I think the Tigers um are in a position to give him what he wants um and make a deal happen. So that that'll be one that'll be interesting to monitor over the next couple of weeks. But um yeah, I, I would say Groom certainly is the toughest to sign. Who are your favorite picks from day two of the draft? Any day two standouts to you that you really liked a lot? I kind of like Mason Thompson to the Padres with their third-round pick. This is a guy who was, uh, as an underclassman in high school, was uh, physical, basketball 91-94, command already. Um, you know, looked like a guy who could have been a first-round pick um, had he stayed healthy. He had Tommy John surgery, and... He came back slowly. He only pitched one inning this spring, and it was out of the bullpen uh, and late in the season, so there weren't a lot of scouts there. Um, so he does have some, some upside. I like that pick for them. I like the what the Indians did. Uh, the Indians took a guy named Aaron Savali, a right-handed pitcher from Northeastern, Northeastern College in, in Boston. Um, this is a guy with you know a solid average fastball and a, a plus breaking ball. Um, so you have some upside there in Savali. The let's see who else. Uh, I guess I, I really liked the the Cubs pick of, of Thomas Hatch, uh, right-handed starter out of Oklahoma State. That was the Cubs' first pick. And if you told me a team was going to get a guy like Thomas Hatch in the third round, I, I would say that that was a a pretty great value. Um, this is a guy who's got some starter traits. Um, Average to slightly better fastball. Uh, can really, really spin a slider, and he mixes in a changeup as well. And he's he's been a horse for for Oklahoma State, and I, I do he's got a bright future ahead of him. Those are just a few of the third rounders. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look at my uh, look at my notes here. I'm going to pick some some guys from uh, the 11th round actually. Great. The the 11th round is actually pretty exciting. Yeah, that's when a lot of the bonus money doesn't get applied, right? Yeah, well, so what happens is the, the, the you can spend $100,000 on those picks, and the first $100,000 doesn't count against your bonus pool at all. So you see some pretty good players come off the board for that reason. Uh, the first pick of the alum round was Josh Steven, uh, a guy who we had you know, ranked in you know, probably the top 150, um, early 100s uh, for our rankings. Um, this is a guy who's a left-handed hitter who can really, really hit. He's gotten better defensively. He's got a chance to play center field. More likely, he profiles better in left field as like a good defensive left fielder. Um, you're buying the bat there, um, but he can really hit. So that's going to be an interesting one to follow. Michael Koval, the Mariners' 11th round pick, is a guy who's uh, – Kind of throws from a lower arm slot. He's, he's very deceptive. Um, coming out of Cal Poly Pomona, he's a right-handed pitcher. His fastball just has a ton of sink on it. He's got a, a pretty good slider, and he'll mix in a changeup. A little bit undersized, and so you're not sure if he's he's going to fit as a starter. Um, but that said, he's got uh, he's got significant potential, and he, he could be a number four, or number five kind of starter if he does make it work. Um, I'm also a fan of uh, A.J. Alexi, the Dodgers' 11th-round pick. This is a guy from uh, from Eastern Pennsylvania who came out strong this spring and was known previously, but you know, kind of you know showed 
significant improvement this spring and kind of put himself in that early round discussion. Um, so he's, he's got a fastball that's 88-92 and, and touches 93 right now. Um, he'll show you a little bit of a breaking ball and a changeup, uh, but he's got this this frame that looks like he's going to be able to add some weight. He's got a quick arm and a clean delivery, uh, so you can project that guy a little bit. Uh, he's an exciting pick. So uh, those are a few. I mean, if there's anybody uh, specific you're, you're curious about, I mean, I'd be more than happy to, to dive into any of those. That's good. What about, uh, I think he was a fifth or sixth round pick. Craig Biggio's son got picked by the Blue Jays. Is he an actual prospect, or is that just sort of a legacy pick? He's a little bit of both. I mean, I don't I don't know if he'd be a fifth rounder um, if his name, last name wasn't Biggio, but I do think he'd be drafted um, and relatively high. Probably still goes top ten rounds. Um, but uh, this is a guy who's a second baseman who can hit a little bit, had a good performance uh, in the Cape Cod League last summer. Um, he, he does this weird thing with his hands where he's like, it's like a Gary Sheffield bat waggle where it's like he's moving the bat around like a million miles an hour uh, for like the, just the second before he, he actually gets his swing going. I, I'd, I'd like to see him get rid of that and, and kind of just focus on um, – you know, kind of getting his hands a little bit, a little bit more still, a little bit more calm. Not necessarily a, a dead hand start, but um, just calm them down a little bit and put them in a better position to make uh, more consistent contact. Um, so we'll see what happens with that one. But yeah, he's he's a prospect. I don't, he's not a high end prospect, uh, but he's he's got some tools for sure. The CBA is up at the end of the year. There may be some changes to the draft because of that. What changes would you like to see to the draft? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily love the uh, the slotting system uh, the way it is right now, and the fact that we have players who are trying to fall in the draft so they can get more money, it, it kind of points to uh, the system being a little bit broken, a little bit crooked. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly would, would like to see that. I would, I would like to see changes to uh, to draft pick compensation. You know, I think that the the value of draft picks right now is so high that it has had um, just a tremendous impact on a lot of free agents who are tied to draft pick compensation. And I don't think that's necessarily something we want. And then I'd also like to see the trading of draft picks. Um, that's, uh, that's something you can do with, um, with picks that are in the competitive balance lottery, uh, which happens after the first and the second round. You know, teams get uh, their six picks in, in each competitive uh, balance lottery round, and those picks are tradable. Um, you actually saw the Braves trade for two of those uh, this year. They got one in, in round A and round B. I think it's, it creates more assets um, and, and allows teams to be a little bit more flexible, uh, but it also allows a team to say, you know, it would allow a team to say, hey, we really, really like this one guy uh, in the draft, and if we want him, we have to trade up to get him. Um, and so a, a team can go out and, and scout a player a little bit more thoroughly that ordinarily they might not have a chance to get at all, but if they could trade their pick, then they might be able to go up and, and trade for and acquire that way. So I'd like to see draft pick trading. I don't know that that's in the works, uh, but it, it certainly, to me, it would make the, the draft uh, more interesting and, and more, more fun to watch. 
I completely agree with that, and it's something that exists in every other sport, and I feel like it would bring a lot more excitement. Uh, every time there's a trade, people would get excited. It also it gives you the possibility of, at least, that your team could trade for the number one pick. If your team loves a guy at number one, and they're willing to give up ones in the next couple of years, they could get that guy. Right now, if you're picking at the bottom of the draft, you just have no chance of getting a top-end pick, and I think the trading picks would bring so much more excitement and interest into the draft. Absolutely, and... and- it would also be huge for the trading deadline. I mean, the the, the deadline we see guys, you know, there's an emphasis, there's a, a premium on acquiring players sooner now because if you can acquire a frontline pitcher right now in in early June uh, rather than late July, you're getting like six to eight more starts from that player. Which if you don't have a good fifth starter. And you have, and instead you you slot in a number one starter can can make the difference between making the playoffs or not. So if, if you have if you have a uh, if you're in a position to make a playoff run and say you have a pick in the twenties, you can say, well, all right, we're just we're going to punt this draft. We're going to trade some prospects. We're going to trade some picks, uh, and we're going to go out and get the frontline starter that we need to to get back to the playoffs and try to win the World Series. So. Um, I think it's. Uh, I think it would be awesome. I think it would make the uh, the draft a lot more exciting too, especially the, the day of. If if uh, you'd have a, like the NFL draft, where the commissioner would walk up and say there's been a trade, and then there's all sorts of excitement on on what's happening there. So, um, yeah, I, I'm all for it. And it would be super exciting the first few years as teams are still trying to figure it out, like how much. How much is that 14th pick actually worth at a trade deadline in July? How much, what would it take to get the number one pick if you have the eighth pick overall? I think that as teams are figuring that out, it would be even more exciting right at the beginning. Right now, you see like, models of like, how, to, uh, how to calculate what, what each pick is really worth. That, and, and those models typically use the, the career value of whatever players have been picked in that same exact spot before. But this way, you'd have a whole market created um, for these picks. And so if some team said, all right, we're giving you a major league uh, average shortstop for for your first round pick, then that would kind of set the market uh, for what those picks were worth. Um, And you might see a team trade for the third overall pick and give, you know, two years of a, of a guy who, who's going to be an ace. So you'd have, you'd kind of see those standards set pretty quickly. Uh, I would. I think it would be awesome. Who are the early favorites to go one overall next year? Well, I actually have a, a watch list coming out uh, today. Uh, there are some college pitchers next year that are really good. Kyle Wright at Vanderbilt, Tanner Houck at Missouri, Alex Lang at LSU, Alex Fiedo at Florida, um, Clark Schmidt at South Carolina. These are guys who are physical who have stuff and can compete right now. Um, high school side, we're talking about a shortstop, flash and a pitcher, a guy named Hunter Green, uh, who's a uh, Southern California guy who's, who's got a great body and a great arm, um, but also has, has some thunder in his back. So he's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what he, he kind of shows himself to be uh, because he's got the potential on the mound uh, and at at shortstop, um, and then there's Jordan Adele, um, and and Jordan Adele is a name you're gonna want to remember because uh, this guy is a, an outfielder slash right right handed pitcher, 
similar to Green in some respects, uh, but this is a guy who has a plus-plus arm, is a plus-plus runner, probably has plus raw power, and he's got this great athletic body, uh, and, and it seems like he's got pretty good uh, character and, and work ethic, too. So this is a guy who, who could be a special player. We're going to have to see how he does this summer uh, when he's facing you know, the best competition in the country. I'll actually see him uh, early this week, uh, so I'm looking forward to getting, getting another look at him. But, yeah, those, those are just a few of the names. It does look like it's a, a pretty deep class. There is no number one slam dunk Bryce Harper, at least, you know, Bryce Harper type, uh, at least at this point. But um, there are a couple guys you could see making themselves pretty darn good candidates. You've been listening to Hudson Belinsky from Baseball America. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Hudson Belinsky. That's B-E-L-I-N-S-K-Y. Hudson, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Russ.